Life Audio. This is Empowering Homeschool Conversations. We want families to come here and gain insightful strategies that empower them to successfully teach diverse learners at home. Hosted by founder and CEO of Sped Homeschool, Peggy Ployer. Our goal is that these powerful weekly conversations will boost your confidence to cultivate the best at-home learning environment for your student. For more homeschool resources, go to spedhomeschool.com. You're listening to Empowering Homeschool Conversations with Peggy Ployer. We'll start the conversation with Peggy and her guests next. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of The Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. This is Empowering Homeschool Conversations, provided by Sped Homeschool, a nonprofit that empowers families to home educate diverse learners. To learn more, visit spedhomeschool.com. Here's Peggy Ployer. Today we are going to talk about, should I give my student an official diagnosis? And we have special guest today, Tasha Douglas. Tasha will be with us in just a moment. So I'm going to get done with some housekeeping things while we are waiting for her to get through traffic and get to her computer to join us. Um, she said she'd just be here in a couple minutes. So i um, I want to thank all of you who um, submitted questions ahead of time. We got quite a few for Tasha. So those will be included in this conversation, as well as um, we have some questions that um, Tasha and I thought of ahead of time, Think questions that parents typically ask her when she is doing assessments for their students. So you'll want to join in on this conversation um, if you're just watching, um, listening, 
on the recorded session. If you're watching live and I see people are popping on right now, just know that you can submit questions live as well. And we'd love to take those and include those in our conversation too. So as we're talking about, should I get an official diagnosis for my student? And I know a lot of homeschool parents ask this question. Now in the public school, a lot of times to access resources for students who have various learning challenges or difficulties, um, an assessment is required, but it's not so much required when you homeschool. So I'm going to approach just a little bit of that information ahead of time. And, and then Tasha is going to help us understand a little bit more from the clinical side. Uh, but when I have worked with parents in the past, we we have gone back and forth. What do you need the the evaluation to tell you? Um, what is it that you're struggling to understand about where your where your student um, needs help, needs assistance, needs assistive technology? And by the way, next um, broadcast we're going to be talking about assistive technology as well. So um, so that may be helpful if you're kind of thinking in in that realm too. So so just know that. Um, there's lots of different reasons why people get diagnoses and or don't get diagnoses when their student is homeschooled. And guess what? My guest is here. Welcome, Tasha. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing good. It's so good to see your face. So we've Thank chatted you. a couple times and now I get to see you again. Um, Tasha yeah. was a guest on this show a long time ago. Yes. So I'm glad to have you back. Thank you. So glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so we've had quite a few people submit questions ahead of time. They say okay. that this this is a topic we definitely need to address. And awesome. we even had a comment um, before the show. They left a comment. Um, Kindergarten homeschool said this is such an important topic, yeah. and and so just know that, um, that we'll probably get a lot of a lot of views, a lot of listens on this episode because a lot of parents they sit on the fence and go. Do I? Don't I? I mean, I I came in with a diagnosis to homeschooling. And I think some some parents just do when they choose to homeschool. They've already been in the public school system. Their child's had a diagnosis. Right. But for parents who have homeschooled, maybe started homeschooling older siblings and realize, I've got this child. <laughs> I don't know exactly what's going on. Yeah. Um, this tends to be the biggest question is, is a diagnosis Um necessary and then what would I use it for? So right. I think we're going to dig into the meat of that and I'm I'm excited for you to be able to share your expertise in this area with our families. So to kind of kick it off, I, I would love for our audience to get to know you again. And awesome. so tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Awesome. Well, um, all in a nutshell, I'm an educational diagnostician, um, but to give you a little background history, I've been in education since 97. Um, I've done 16 years of classroom teacher and to be a certified diagnostician, you have to have classroom experience. So it's very important to be able to help those teachers with those recommendations and accommodations. Um, mm -hmm. Then I did 10 years of diagnostician out in the public school systems. I've worked with school districts, private schools, uh, learning centers, and even parents who have for homeschool. So it's, it's the same federally mandated um, spectrum. Even if you're not in the school, those rules still apply for those kiddos who are homeschooled. And a lot of my parents don't know that. They're, they're wondering, do we get those same support system? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Um, and then fast forward, I'm now working on my doctorate degree. I have yeah. just finished my classes. I'm so excited about that. 
um, about three weeks ago. I'm working on my dissertation and my doctoral degree is in executive educational leadership. So I'm still looking forward to supporting um, schools and leading, you know, on another level so we can help our kids um, yeah. in special needs. And that's why I chose that field to stay in the same field. I'm working on my dissertation now, hopefully to um, graduate in August of this year or December, depending on my pro my dissertation process. So I'm excited yeah. about that. And now I have I, my top assessment consulting has been around for many years, as you know, Peggy. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I refer a lot of people because Tasha's local to me. So <laughs> people ask, "Who do I go to?" I'm like, "You go to Tasha." <laughs> <laughs> I always ask where they where they hear, "Oh, Spit Homeschool." And so they, I get a lot of clients from Spit Homeschool. We, me and Peggy, have been working together as partners for a good while. So yeah. I think we. Um, worked very well together. I'm so happy to be a part of her team and her part of mine. So that's where it's where I am in a nutshell. Um, for the past, what since I think it's been about three years since I've done the webcast, but the yeah. business has been there for many years, and we're just here to support the community. And awesome. uh, what I offer more than most, I am available on weekends for my parents, yeah. and I'm available for the summer. And it has to be appointment, of course, of course, because my uh, staff, you know, so I can give them a head, head notice about a Saturday events. But right. I am accessible to my parents other than the school day. And that really works great with my my, my especially my homeschool parents because their schedule is a little bit different mm -hmm. and they have more flexibility. So they're able to meet those uh, those needs. So, right. Yeah. yeah. So. And it's good that you point that out, because a lot of times the diagnosis um, the diagnostic process, all of that stops when the last day of school happens and right. parents panic because right. they contact the school in the summer and they're like, what do you mean I have to wait till August, September? Right. Um, yes, that that is very very typical. And, and so, yeah. so having somebody available like you who doesn't stick to that schedule and can um, fill in those gaps in yes, most definitely. is very helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially as parents, a lot of times homeschool parents, this is our time where we're evaluating what curriculum we're going to use next year, right. what supports right. our students need in place. Um, and as we kind of evaluate how the year prior went and how we're going to move forward. And right. so having some additional information, and I'm sure we're going to talk about some what the, what that is, um, right. is going to be helpful um, right. to to make the right choices and to not spend your money in the wrong place. Um, there's, right. there's a lot of different things involved. So yeah. very cool. Yeah. Oh. So um, I think, I think we're going to start maybe with some of the questions that we talked about, and then we're going to add in some, I'll, I'll kind of mix in some of our viewer questions that came in ahead of the broadcast. And if we have any live, we'll, we'll include those as well. Okay. Um, but in, if a child is having a learning difficulty, um, what what is the process of even that parents would go about to get an assessment for that child? So if they're looking for outside assessment for just give an example for um, for my business, what we would do? I love consulting first. We would have a consultation. I believe it's okay. I, I, as a person, as a woman, as a mother, as a wife. I like to be informed. Give mm -hmm. me the information so I'm, I don't like to be lost in the midst of what I'm doing. Right. And be prepared ahead of time. So I always like to consult first. So the parent and I, whoever they want to be a part of the meeting, it can be mom, dad, their teacher, grandma, you know, whoever you have assigned or as part of your child's educational uh, team, 
Yeah. We will meet and we'll just go over the preliminaries of what it means to evaluate a kid. What's the process? <laughs> and so the first thing my parents ask is, okay, um, they don't, they're not sure what, what direction to go with the evaluation. So basically I want, I get some background information. We fill out a parent information form. It's very simple. It's nothing that, you know, you just have to give me the most information you can about your child, right. uh, past, present, uh, and give me a little history about if they have any siblings. You know, if you have siblings, oh, yeah. you know, that mm -hmm. have trouble difficulty because sometimes, you know, parents have done it, have been through the process before, but not sure how to go about it with the, the second child or the third Got child. Got it. So we would do a consultation once we do that, which would probably take about 30 minutes. Um, unless they have, we want to meet again for more information. I send mm -hmm. out some documentation for you just to give you an idea of what the process looks like formally. But we also do talk about the details of the evaluation itself. So let's just say if we have a student that's struggling. You know, and a lot of the kids, they have strengths. And I like mm -hmm. to tell parents. Absolutely. Yes. They really do. And what we do first is look at what the areas of need are. But I also want to know what their strengths are. Yes. So if they have struggling in reading, but they're strong in math. So we would look at an educational evaluation. So what that would entail is we would do what's called an intellectual cognitive ability test. It's a okay. state mandated test. It's something that's standardized. It's formal. And it's looking at your, uh, the student across the board for their age. So this is not like tests in the, in the homeschool tests or classroom tests. Those are informal. It's a subjective. These tests are strictly based on what they can do without any support of mom, dad, or whoever the, the okay. uh, educator is. Then we would do another evaluation would be um, the academic piece. It's called achievement. The mm -hmm. intellectual piece and the achievement piece are like brother and sister. They okay. are they are one and the same. They're together. They're family. So when mm -hmm. you have the intellectual piece, based on that cognitive ability, it will let you know how well they're able to perform. Typically, the areas we look at is reading, math, and writing. Because okay. those three areas affect every other area. Yes, they absolutely and do. They do. Reading, writing, and math. Because you got math and science uh, have some similarities. Then you have reading and language arts. Mm -hmm. So we typically um, evaluate in those areas. And then once we evaluate in uh, intellectual ability and cognitive, we look at language area. So we want to make okay. sure we don't have to do formal evaluation. It depends on the recommendation. If they're not having any speech concerns or language um, deficiencies or language barriers, because there are mm -hmm. kids that are trying to figure out two different languages sometimes. And it, right. and it, yep. it masks. It masks as if, as if there's academic and sometimes it's not yeah. academic. It's the language. Uh -huh. you know? So I pick um, assessments based on what's best for that child. That's good and to I know. Choose, choose, yes. I choose, if I find a, a, if the child is heavy uh, having difficulty with language, I wouldn't choose an assessment that's heavy in language. I don't want them to be struggling in, in an area that's most difficult for them. I want to have the best right. result for them that meets their need and not mask for something else. Yes, um, yes. So, those are typically the so there are some different options then yes. and, and consulting with you ahead of time that yes. gives you kind of an idea of what, how to lay that, that path yes. for testing to be most effective and the results to give the most information. After a word from our sponsor, we'll dive back into this conversation. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. 
This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of The Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. This is Empowering Homeschool Conversations, provided by Sped Homeschool. Go to spedhomeschool.com to get resources and support for teaching your unique learner at home. Most definitely, before we begin, we do, we do, and parents are so comfortable once they get that information, and then we set up maybe two or three testing dates. I always say three in case something comes up and they get sick or ill and we have to reschedule. We already got it planned. And so we do two. I like to do at least two. I feel like doing two, one, two sets of testing in one day is a lot for a kid. So I think we mm. break it up in two sessions, do a cognitive one day and um, academic another day and keep that third testing option open just in case. And okay. then, we, yeah, but parents like to know, well, how long, you know, how long? Right. Is it take? Yes. And, you yeah. know, and, how, and I let them choose the dates. I'm flexible. We can do weekends, the summer. It's whatever. I'm here to support them. So I never put them on a stringent timeline. Right. It's about what's most comfortable and available for that kid. And I like to make sure my, my kids are getting breaks, you know, and mm-hmm. give them time to get water. We have snack. I give them a whole <laughs> itinerary. A lot of my kids don't want to leave. They get so much attention from me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because I give them, they have lunch and they take a little break and they bring their lunch. And, you know, and if they don't need a break, that's fine. But we always right. have a waiting area. So my parents are welcome to stay. You don't have to leave. My office have uh, have a waiting area for you to stay. You can watch TV, read a magazine, do some work, catch up on work. So I make it real convenient for yeah. uh, my kids and yeah. my parents. Yeah, that's really cool. I don't think that's always the case for a lot of other testing facilities. Because we got a question from one parent. It was Kathy S. She said, how can the results obtained from testing be accurate when the testing is so lengthy and stressful for the child? Um, And and so if a if a family maybe is not local here in Texas and League Mm -hmm. City, we're in the south end of Houston, um, you know, and maybe they have this type of option, what what kind of advice would you have to give to a family that feels like this is just going to be put my child in overload? Are they going to get accurate results? Um, what Or what should they ask for and what can they ask for from an evaluator? Well, that's a good question. Um, I actually have a parent that came out of town from Odessa. And wow. yeah, they flew in because hmm. they couldn't find anybody that they felt comfortable with out there. And they, they um, do about my business. So they flew out. What I did, that's a really good question. So I go back to breaking the assessments up. So we, we break my chunk them. Okay. And one of the things that there's two outliers on the evaluation that we have to take part in. We have to observe what state the child is in. If that child, if, if, if my observations of that child feel like that they're so tired and exhausted or they're distracted right. and they can't focus, I'm going to stop the evaluation. That's just part of my, that's part of the, what you're supposed to do federally. Okay. Um, you have to check two boxes on most evaluations to say, okay, what were your observations of this kid? 
So yes. if I feel like that they are not, um, if we've done a part of the testing and I, you know, take a break and I explain to mom or dad, hey, I noticed Johnny have been, um, couldn't stay focused and he was just blurting out answers. I didn't feel right. comfortable fulfilling this part of the test. I think we need to stop. Let's come back to tomorrow or the day after. So that's an observation right. I take as a professional, as an expert in this area, it, you know, um, we are, these are the kids, these are the children's lives, you know, yes. and, and yeah. this is something they're going to carry with them. They're going to have as a part of a support system for them, not just for this grade level. It takes them on, exactly. you know, right. and we should be evaluating every three, uh, uh, two years, no more than three. Well, okay. every child should be, yes, they should be um, anything past that. It becomes, uh, it can be a real big issue, not keeping up with that, that's uh, academic area or a need of need for that child. Um, so between two to three years, once we finish the evaluation at the end, I have to look at the evaluation is not, and I, mom, whoever gave, that's a really good question because most people think that the evaluation is just formal by law. We have to include informal data. So that would include the sociological background that includes the vision and hearing screening that okay. includes the um, emotional behavior, meaning that they may not be formally evaluated, but I have to do an observation. Right. I have to pull data and see, okay, mom, how do they act at home? You know, how is their um, yeah. attentiveness at home? So I have to look at multiple sources of data and that's how you get accuracy. I tell my parents um, that you don't want your child to be diagnosed by a formal evaluation solely. That yes. is unfair because some kids don't take tests well. Some kids may rush through tests, you know. So it's very meticulous of how we put that data together and um, uh, form that report. So it's a reassurance to the parents to let them know that why Johnny has been doing great in reading and not math, when I evaluated him, those results, results show, but it's because he may not be as interested in math or reading, not because he can't, you know, have the ability right. to Yes. <laughs> you know, and so they get really shocked and like, wow, you know, and we look at um, all the areas and we determine based on all of those areas, okay, this is a valid, accurate evaluation because right. of all, not just the formal evaluation, but the informal. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I want to speak on is, um, is something called exclusionary factors. We have to look at um, the surroundings, the environment. Oh, absolutely. We have to look at how consistent they're getting education. You know, they're at homeschool, but I want to know, okay, what's the plan? What are you guys, what are you guys working on? And how long you work on that? I'm like, okay, good. So we just have a background of what the system is. And you don't have to have the same system as the public school system, but we right. know what they're learning and have a background of what they're learning. We also look at um, uh, health history. So we don't oh, medical yes. history. We want to look at, you know, do they have any ear, uh, any um, what's, what's called ear tubes, you know, things like that. Kids. Oh may yes, yeah, age. lots of ear infections and ear infections. Yes. We look at um, what are some of the things that you have uh, talked with your doctor about medically. You know, mm -hmm. I have some parents that have some kids that are ADHD or may have some anxiety. You know, things like that. So when I get that, and that's what's on the parent information, Peggy. So okay. when I get the parent information, I already know what evaluate, what test testing tools is best for my student. Yeah. Because I get that background information first. Right. And once I get that, then I know how to tailor make that evaluation for that student. And so the lengthiness is going to be chunked. So you're not going to get an overwhelming um, uh, evaluation at once in one sitting. 
Right. That is a choice I do. Some some um, schools, they'll do uh, all of it in one day. And I think it's just too much. You know, right. we need to break it up and give them time to take a break, go eat lunch. You know, and I think back. the schools too are just so overloaded that they they just have they the way they book them they just you know get them all in and and get as many done as possible and that's unfortunate for the students because yes. they don't get thorough of testing um, in in that environment. Which we got one one question from a parent who kind of t- had gave the opposite question though. Okay. He says, "Non private <laughs> testing is it also a benefit to get public school testing done?" Um, because she's thinking just that a private tester would only do the neuropsych and oh, the school no. would only do the educational um, okay. if we plan to remain as homeschoolers. So, um, so, from what I hear you saying is that you're doing both. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I have an LSSP, which is a licensed special school psychologist. And what they do is, and in the school district, outside the school district, when you're working on a psychological report, you have to have both evaluators. They Uh, work together. We're a team. And we complement one another. You can't evaluate a kid in behavior without including the academic. Right. When they're in an academic situation and they're probably reacting to not being able to understand or, you know, participate as well. Yes. Right. So I have an LSSP, um, licensed special school psychologist. And what they do is they evaluate for the behavior. And we're not talking about misbehavior. We're just talking about emotional behavior. Right. It could be ADHD. It could be anxiety. It can be uh, emotional you know, it can be several variations of uh, what they're in. There are others, but those are my top three um, that I deal with most of all with my um, not deal with what my parents have concern of. And so once they do the behavior piece, um, I do the academic piece. So I do the cognitive and the academic or hire one of my associates to do that piece. Then we collaborate. So we come together, we put our results together, and then we put the informal information together. There'll be uh, parent interviews, there'll be student interviews. A lot of the behavior information is uh, rating scales. So there are a lot of information that they pull uh, as well as doing formal evaluation. So it's both. Again, by law, we have to use multiple sources of data and we will not use just one formal evaluation to it because a child, you know, reacts differently when they uh, sharing things openly versus uh, giving an answer on a formal evaluation test. You sometimes you can get more out of them just by asking them a simple question, you know. Yeah. And so that data is pulled together, and then we form a good report based on that. And yeah, so it's 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 the parents' choice if they want to have um, a public school. And what we call it, public schools call it um, psychological evaluations. So neuro evaluations, um, from my experience and my background, doctors can do it too. They do some evaluation, but theirs is not as thorough. So they're not going to go over sociological. They're not going to go over, you know, health screening. They're not going to do, you know, you're going to get a a pretty kind of structured basis, which is good. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, It's sufficient. But when you need a plan for the teacher, (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes. Uh-huh. And that's and really dad. what homeschool parents need the most. Right, right. That you need plan. Plan. How do I, what do I use this information <laughs> for? <laughs> you need a plan. So we're real thorough. It's tailor-made to develop a plan, individual plan. So whatever right. it gives you, the report, what we give you, and we have recommendations at the end. Yeah. And we form yes. an actual plan tailor-made for your child. 
so you know what steps to use and how to better assess them in each area. So every area need, where it be short-term memory, long-term memory, um, comprehension, you have an itemized plan accommodations to put in place. And, and that is the huge that's key. That's what I think yeah. our parents really are looking for is, yeah. is how, what, am I going to get the information that I need to really help my student by going through this process and, and investing this money? It's an investment, yes, I, I have to say. But when you work with somebody like Tasha versus just going to the school district, and the school district is not going to do that for you um, sure. because they, they can tell you the services they can provide if you drop your child off. Right. That will keep your child at the what the equivalent level of all their their age, um, same age classmates. Right. But it's not going to help them individually right. to keep on that that process of of working and um, at their own pace and, and getting all the the supports they need for learning for them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we, the one question I always had from parents, um, and because, you know, we are a a virtual, um, society as we're doing this (laughs) remotely and we live in the same city, um, (laughs) is why can't I do, yes, why can't I do my evaluation online? Um, and I know you have a good answer to this. <laughs> yes, yes, because I, it's so, it's funny you said it because at the end of every report, I have testing observations, right? Yes. And that's why it's so important. Whoever evaluated the child needs to do the report. Why? Be, needs to write the report. I have some people in the past have tested and have somebody else do the report in the wow. district. And I would never, 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 never. I, that's something that I just would not do. But the reason why, because when you're evaluating a kid up close, live, there are certain nuances that you see that you do not get virtually. Yes, absolutely. And you, have, you need that child in front of you, eyes on him or her, because you want to make sure that you can see every detail of what it is that they're doing. So sometimes you can see that they're, I can't feel their emotions um, while they're um, on the virtual. I can't see, right. you know, whether their eyes are really tired or whether they're feeling, yeah. you know, what their what their state of mind is. But when I'm up close, mm-hmm. you know, and I can see them firsthand and also distractions. Oh, you know, absolutely. Too many distractions when you're at home, you got, you know, so many things going on. But when you're in my office, I have a separate uh, waiting area. I have a door closed. It's so quiet. And it's just me and the student one-on-one. And that's one of the the things that um, when you're testing, if there is a distraction in the middle of a test and and that's that particular cluster, you have to stop that cluster. And you have to start over or either start another value. Yes, you can't have, you're not supposed to have any interruption. It's It's just that important because that child loses their train of thought. Right. Absolutely. And you have to pick up. And this is this is this is something where I talk about nuances and you want to make sure that you're going back to the first parent's question. How do you know it's valid? Right. Yeah. Validity. When you're not being distracted and there are no interruptions. That's a huge part of validity. So virtual is it's just uh, it just for for this type of testing for your child, it would be best not to do virtual because you don't want any um, nuances to interfere and you don't want anything to not be reliable or right. 
know. Yes. And especially when you're, you're investing in this time and, and funds um, to, to have it thrown off by, you know, not someone not noticing that your child's fidgeting under the table right now. Right. um, Or, or a lot of other things, or you have a noise canceling microphone and you don't know the dog's barking and has been barking the entire hour you've been testing. That's a very real thing. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, so yes, there's there's just so many things um, that get involved in there. Yes. Um, so, so good answers. Um, love love that, and I'm sure a lot of our parents have been, you know, thinking about that. Yeah. Um, you know, and all those questions. So, so testing then takes anywhere from a day to you know, broken up, I guess it depends on how many evaluations you determine with the parent. What on average is a length of the testing process and then the length for getting an evaluation usually or the end product? Okay. For, for me, I typically, my parents like to do in the morning. And if you don't, if your baby's not a morning kid, that's perfectly fine. I like to work in four hour increments. I think four hours is plenty enough time you go to five and six hours in a day, just like a work day, you know, and I think it's a lot on one kid to do sit down testing, even with breaks. It's a little bit, you know, it's too intense, I believe. Right. Um, so I typically do a four hour um, window. We start at 10. We end at two. We take a lunch for 30 minutes. I typically have my parents bring their, tell their child to bring their lunch. I think when they, <laughs> Come to the, and I have a, a waiting area again. I have area for lunch. You know, it's, it's very convenient so they can bring their lunch, take a 30 minute lunch. And then if they want to take a break in the morning and a break in the afternoon, we can. Um, and then we shut down at two, maybe two to 2.30, depending on if we're wrapping up the last evaluation for the day. Um, then we come back again, maybe the next day or the, um, the following day, depends on the parent's schedule. So we do two right. days of evaluation of four hour increments. Now, I typically uh, do a 10 to 2, but if my parents say, hey, you know, Sarah's not a morning person, I would rather her do, you know, right. noon to 4. I'm okay yeah. with that. You know, so, it, and it, it has worked very, very well. I do like my kids to have a little bit of breakfast, a light breakfast in the morning, nothing heavy, but just something to get in their appetite in the morning because it gets their brain. That's good to know. Yeah. yeah their brain mm-hmm. is flowing in the morning. Um, yes, but they're not fatigued because they've eaten so much and their brain's just like trying to process exactly. <laughs> or their stomach's processing and they have no blood for their brain. <laughs> exactly. So I'm like, just a little bit, mom, dad, just, you know, have to be a full course, just some fruit or toast or orange juice, just something, uh, you know, banana, whatever, just something that, that is uh, not too much sugar and, you know, too heavy, but just something right. light, a nice light breakfast, um, bring their lunch, bring, uh, if a snack, if they want to, they can bring their water, you know, because we'll take a break. And some of my kids, my older kids, like my, I test up until 12th grade, you know, my seniors and my juniors, they're like, they're good. You know, they don't need another <laughs> break at the end, but my, my elementary, they may yeah. want a little break in between. I give them a little snack and they have their water or their, uh, their drink. And then we'll do that for the second time. If, um, maybe a third, if we need it. Typically, most of my kids, I just need a two day. We get a lot done in um, in those uh, two days. After that, wow. we start formulating the report. So what I will do is gather some more data from mom and dad or whoever the guardian is. We'll um, look at everything that they provided to me. Make sure they have a vision and hearing screening. That's one of the main things you want to make sure your baby has oh, an updated yes. vision and hearing screening. 
So by law, they have to pass a vision and hearing screening. Um, and it huh. can be from the pediatrician. You don't have to go to vision and you know, hearing, you don't have to go to ear, nose, and throat doctor. You don't have to go to the... You don't have to uh, go to a specialist or you don't of have any to go sort. To yeah, you can even get it from, if you're in the public school, you can you get it from the nurse because the nurse does screening. That's all the law requires, a vision and hearing screening. So, but if you have something from your pediatrician, perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, just make sure it's within the calendar year. Okay. Okay, that's perfectly fine. Then we'll start gathering data for the report. Typically, my typically my reports would take, um, depending on what my caseload is mm-hmm. <laughs> with my kiddos, but about two weeks. And okay. we can usually get it done within those two weeks. And if once we get that report done, what we do is set up a meeting. I do a Zoom meeting. I do have a conference area for my parents to come in and we can go to the report. But Peggy, you said something <laughs> virtually. Nobody wants to leave home if they don't have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we do a, we do a <laughs> Zoom meeting and they always they always choose the Zoom meeting. So we do a Zoom meeting and we go over the report line by line. And I have a shared screen. Oh, that's and so important. Yes. Every detail and all the questions, you know, whatever right. they need. And a lot of my parents want me to be an educational consultant after. So I help. I, I still provide services. I um, help with plans and, you know, the academic area. So I'm even after testing, I'm still accessible to helping them as they navigate. Yes, because I know a lot of our parents are writing homeschool IEPs, um, individualized education plans. They want to track those goals. They want to have that documentation in place. And so having somebody like you to come alongside them, they feel more empowered and they feel like that I'm not missing anything because a lot of times parents are like, I'm I'm not an educator. I I don't know anything about all of these these needs of my child. But um, but if you have a team around you, and people like Tasha, you, you feel like much more confident in moving yes. forward and teaching your students. And that's really, really important. The more confident you are, the more confident your child's going to be that they're making successes too. Very true. Yeah. Very true. So you had said something about every two to three years. Now, is that something for the public school system or is there something developmentally that parents should be um, aware of that testing should happen um, on a regular basis like that. I'm um, say a child is, you know, meet, meeting goals, everything from the, the previous mm-hmm. assessments fine at home. Would, would an assessment be necessary or could that be something that could be lengthened out for a homeschool student? I know in the public schools, it is required every two to three years to keep services. Right. Right. But I'm just wondering from a homeschool perspective, if that um, time frame would be the same. No, not it's a little bit different than homeschool. So in the school district, like you said, two to three, if, if the child has been evaluated already. Right. So mm-hmm. let's say we do what we call an initial evaluation. That's the first evaluation. Right. Um, most districts go three because, of course, you know, if they can get more time. Right. Exactly. <laughs> they do it. But you can do it as soon as two because you don't want to uh, submit the same information they just had a year before. It's right. still kind of fresh and new. You want to be valid. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to be something that's repetitive that they've seen before and can remember. And right. it's going to be at a different level because they're a year older, two years older. So they're going to have a different level of that uh, test anyway. But that's typically for the public schools at home. It's not really no set guidelines that you have to do. Right. Uh, two to three years um, to evaluate them if you want. It's, it's at the parent's discretion. But I would say it would help the child if you would keep monitoring that every two to three years. Even if you don't uh, do yes. a formal evaluation, you would want to look at 
the accommodations. Maybe something needs to change. Right. Maybe yes. You tweak some things, you know, because even after being evaluated after maybe three months, you may notice, you know what? <laughs> right. They, we need to make some changes and some adjustments, you know? Yeah. So I think that's very good because they're growing, they're learning, they're transitioning. Right. You know, you talk about from elementary to middle school. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's worlds apart, even from oh, absolutely. Uh, second to third grade. I taught um, second grade for four years and third grade for th three years. And I taught them back to back. And I saw the transition literally from two to three years to second grade to third grade. Hmm. worlds apart. Right. So you really have to, you know, stay on top of that to make sure that you're not still operating. You wonder why the progress is not happening. But maybe we need to change some of the accommodations that they got two years ago. Right. Maybe yes. change some of the pieces, you know, um, they might not, they may need more, you know, yeah. mm -hmm. they may need more because they're changing, they're growing, they're developing, they're transitioning, you know. And right. So I would recommend, even if we don't do a full eval, which most of my parents still recommend after two to three years, mm -hmm. I would definitely want to look at the plan and okay. see how we can modify that plan and meet those needs. And, per and remember, the evaluation is not just for the current time you're preparing for the next grade level up. Right, yes, You know, absolutely. you're trying to think ahead. So you're, you you want to prepare them for what they're coming into. And that helps, well, again, Peggy, like you said, their confidence. Oh, yes, absolutely. When they come in more prepared, much better at what they're expecting to do. Mm -hmm. And they're more, they start becoming familiar through repetition and things like that. So we want to set them up real good for the new school year. And yes. I want to go back to something real quick. Yeah. One of the advantages of doing summer, because when you do it at the beginning of the school year, it takes they but the, the school district has 45 school days to get everything done. You're talking oh, about school days. Yes. Yes. That's and a pretty much time. So when you're by me doing it in the summer, it allows the parents to even at homeschool, you know, you have time to prepare your child for the fall, even if you're not um, in the public school system. It's just have them ready. Having yes. the news net, knowing what plan, having their plan before school starts. So that way you can hit the ground running. And Absolutely. You and you're not changing things. You start and then you have to completely make a shift. Yeah. And that that's so hard. Yeah. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Mm. So I, I always like to let them know the advantages of that. Um, so that's what the two to three years was referring to. Got if it. We're not yes. evaluating. We want to make sure that we're not letting too much time lapse before yep. we do an update on those plans. Got you know? it. So, yes. yeah, yeah. Yep. so sometimes I know I've heard from some parents that um, when, especially when they do testing through the public school system, a lot of them want to do a classroom observation. I think it's just in the test. Um, and so a lot of parents are lacking in that because they don't have a classroom situation right. or their child's in a co-op and the co-op has closed doors to outside officials. Okay. And so a lot of them struggle with that how do I get that classroom evaluation? So how do you handle that from your side? I want to hear your answer to that. <laughs> okay, that's a good question. Um, I have a form, uh, a um, parent form and a teacher form. And it's a teacher academic behavior form and a parent academic behavior form. Okay. okay. And it goes over the academic piece and the behavior, not misbehavior, but observations of behavior. So we're oh, talking okay. about attentiveness, focus, things right. like that. Yeah. You know, how mm -hmm. long they can sit down, things like that. Um, so in typically in the public school, there is a classroom observation, right? Okay. But, but the observation from my homeschool parents is what they observe at home. 
Okay. And then what I observe when I'm evaluating them and based on my data that I received from the parents, the other thing I do is what's called an adaptive behavior. Now, in the school district, adaptive behavior is only required if a child is under a 70, uh, average 70 and below in the, in the cognitive ability. Right. Okay. But for me, I, for my business, I do at, um, uh, be a formal at, uh, adaptive behavior because I just want more data. I'm very thorough in my reports, Peggy. You know that. Oh, yes. I'm very <laughs> thorough. And so what I do is I do a formal adaptive behavior. So what that does is that gives me more information about how the child adapts from home and with the academic piece. Okay. And it gives you a variation of all the different things that parents may not think about that affects them academically. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so those checklists things. are amazing because it makes you yeah. think of things that you would just never <laughs> think about. Wow. Oh, how? Yes. This would affect the, their learning. I never thought about right. that. <laughs> right. So I do it for all my kids of, across the board. So you have that's an observation piece because it's formal. Okay. Okay. Now, the observations that we do um, in the classroom is informal. It's very subjective. It depends on what you brought at that time. Right. Absolutely. It's just what your eyes, you know, what you saw in that 30 minutes or that 45 minutes. Right. So but the adaptive behavior gives you more information and more data to look at that's linked to the cognitive ability. So adaptive behavior is another analogy. They're like brother and sister. They are one one and the same. So the adaptive behavior affects the cognitive ability. And so right. I like to do formal because it gives me, again, more data. And the more data I have, multiple sources of data, the better we're going to be able to help that child. Oh, so absolutely. we have both pieces. I have the informal, the teacher behavior academic form, or the parent behavior at home school behavior academic form. So it gives me both pieces plus the formal, and we have a plethora of observation to use as a tool to uh, give us the best valid information for the uh, report. That's yes, that I love that explanation because that, (laughs) that, that answers that question so thoroughly. So thank you for, for addressing it. um, And, and for what you do too, because I think parents just kind of think, well, I'm at a loss if my student's not in a classroom, but you just right. told us you're really not. No, you're not. <laughs> there no, you're there not. are other things and there's better ways actually to observe a student um, from yes. that perspective. So yes. I want to approach um, some of the some high school level things. Um, I got we had a question come in from Misra. Um, and she asked, once you have a diagnosis, does it affect future employment, college entrance, volunteer work, firearm purchases? How difficult can it get it be to remove a diagnosis or multiple diagnoses? Right. Well, you know, parents are a huge part of the process. And a lot of my parents don't realize how significant their uh, decision making is a part of the process. So right. when we're diagnosing a kid, when you get to that level at the secondary level, if you are still identified and eligible for um, for whatever diagnosis is, typically you have to start with like a community college, right? Yes. But if you're not and you chose, you know what? I think we're we're good. We're gonna, you know, we're we're not gonna go forth with special needs anymore. We think he's, you know, well. Okay, then that changes that. But as far as employment, you know, if y'all been noticing, they have so many jobs out there now than what they had before, where they're offering things for kids yes. who may have ADHD or, or AU, autism, and things like that. So mm-hmm. it's really about doing your research and looking Absolutely. at what fits your student best and well. So let's just say 
if their strength is, I know some of my boys, uh, my gentlemen, they have, they may struggle in reading, but they're stronger in math. Yes. And then writing, they just don't really care to write for math, but they can write. <laughs> yes, that was my oldest. So, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, for the results come out and we see, oh man, he has strengths in this area, but we have an area of need in this area. So I look at what the strengths are. So if their strength is fluid reasoning, fluid reasoning is an area where it's highly tied to math. So I would look okay. at something where that's a strength for them. So you just want to find areas in employment that is conducive to their strengths. And yes. I think that's what it, it, it is the main thing. And doing your research. There is no cookie cutter cer- certain type of employment for a certain child. I think for any kid, it's about what their strength is and what they enjoy. Right. Um, but the, re- the research, I would say to tell mom or dad, the research is what you have to do for for the employment, but it's not a hindrance to them being able to be employed. It's just finding yeah. the, the best um, environment for them that can complement their strengths and you still accommodate them where they have needs. You oh, know, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And we've yeah. we've seen that with our own kids. My oldest was diagnosed on the spectrum when he was five and he right. chose when he went to college not to get accommodations, not to be re-diagnosed. Right. Um, and that was his choice. And and so he knew what he was going up against, that he had some things he was going to just have to advocate through without saying, I've got, you know, this struggle. Right. And and he did great. Um, and then I've got two other kids, one actually that qualifies for disability because his back is such a mess. Um, mm-hmm. And and so, yes, but but I think they choose. And and it's not on any of my kids' official um I guess paperwork, medical paperwork, right. unless they choose. That, that's it, mom. That's it, yes. Betty. Unless they choose mm-hmm. it. Exactly. That's what I was yep. saying before. Yeah, yep. it's a choice. Absolutely. Because that paperwork isn't like filed in some, you no. know, no. place where everybody can access it. And, no. and so I think a lot of parents, I think the only the only thing where you would have issues like with a firearm purchase would be a mental health diagnosis where your child was actually admitted right. to the hospital. Right. And if they were hospitalized, for that condition, then, then, you know, that would be on a uh, publicly accessible record right. um, of some sort. Um, right. So, but, um, I did but, want to add yeah. to that. I want to add to that. I'm going to cut you off. Penny. Yes. No, um, no, please do. The confidential, you said something that, that is very important. This is a confidential report. This is a legally federally mandated, mandated report. That means that it's just between parents sign off and give permission for me or whoever else is a part of their educational team. Outside of that, they have the authority to allow anybody they want to view or not view. And I do not have any authority to uh, give their report to anyone other than the parent. And the parent makes a choice. They agree, okay, I've released top assessment to do A, B, C, and D. And that's their choice. Yeah, and that's part of the documentation and paperwork that Mm -hmm. um, I send out to my parents during the consultation. So they get to see all that information ahead of time. So they are are at ease. Um, And another thing, if they change their mind and they decide, you know what? I think I want my child to get help when they go to college, whether it's community college or four-year college, Mm -hmm. with writing. So if they want to get an accommodation, you don't need a report. Technically, if you want a certain type of accommodation, yes, you have have to serve a, a Proof, right? Verification. Right. Okay. Yes, so I did want to address that too. Yes, you have yeah. to show verification if you want that accommodation. But if you don't mm-hmm. feel like they need it, you know, then that's fine. But to have that accommodation, it is there. If I have a student, um, she was a senior, she was working, 
And I'm so happy. She just got a scholarship at her job that she was ah. working it was a, um, a scholarship for her just to help her out, get her started. And she wasn't even really thinking about college at first. And we did the evaluation. She got now she's excited and looking towards that. And I evaluated yeah. her about maybe four months ago. Okay. You know, and so, so she's a senior now. She's a senior yeah. now. Going to do, yeah. So she's going to probably start out at a community college. She want to just kind of get her feet wet and, you right. know, want to see what it's like, you know. But mm -hmm. it's not some record where they're keeping track. It's in the, a federal database or something. And, you know, right. making marks and blocking interests of this and that. No, if you don't want that to be a part of their as homeschool parents. Now, right. public school system. Public school, different. yes. That's, that's in different. their record if you that's, get evaluated yes. through the public school. That's exactly. a little different. But homeschool, that's your confidential information that you can keep or you can share. You know, right. that's, that's at your discretion. But, um, yeah. So so if a student was in that, that high school, I think I'd like accommodations possibly in a job or in college. When When is that like adult level diagnoses best to get? Is it something they do in high school or towards the end of their high school career that would be much more effective for using that diagnosis? I think the sooner the better for okay. that child. Um, I would say at least two years before, if you're thinking that there is, I, I really just say the earlier the better because mm -hmm. it takes time to do that evaluation process. It takes a child, takes time for right. child to learn themselves and learn these accommodations. And then I think, yeah. Yep. yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good point, because if you, you haven't used an accommodation for a long period of time and then you approach a college or a workplace and say, well, this is the accommodation I need. And they say, well, how has it worked for you in the past? You can't say anything. <laughs> so right. it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So I'll say at least two years before. Um, but if you notice and you, you, you have a freshman this year and you feel like, you know what, we've been contemplating this for two years. And you strongly feel like the support system you need to be evaluated. I would not um, put it off. You okay. know, you want them to leave. You want them to leave high confident. You know, and and one of the positive things about evaluation, I always point out because I'm a very positive person by nature. <laughs> you absolutely. I am, you know that, Peggy. <laughs> but you know, I tell my parents, I said, you'll be amazed what you see. Your has so many strengths. It's going to give you a lot of answers to questions. Why I had one parent why they can remember things from two years ago, but they couldn't remember what the teacher or what they learned last week. I said, because their short-term memory is, right. um, is, is, there's a need, but their long-term memory is strong. And that's yeah. one of the, uh, the things that we evaluate. So it gives you so many strengths that your child has that you couldn't really figure out why, but you knew they were right. there. Now yeah. it all makes sense. Oh, so it's not that they didn't want to learn and they didn't, um, you know, want to do. It's just that that's a struggle for them. There's two areas of memory. You don't have just one type of memory. You have short-term memory and you have long-term memory and they're not one of the same. <laughs> right. So yes. they're two different spectrums. So you can have a strength in one area and a need in another and now explains, okay, now, and then that helps the child to be confident because they're not right. frustrated thinking, okay, I, why can't I get this? You know, why? Sweetie, you just need a little bit more accommodations. Every child needs that. We just give you a little bit more time. Right. That's it. Yes, just a little absolutely. more time, or maybe we can chunk it. Don't give them so much at one time. You know. Right. It's all about planning. And once yes. you know, once you know what your child's strengths and needs are, you can plan better. Yes. 
Yes, that's yeah. that's so good. And I do want parents to know too. We've done uh, um uh, we did an episode or broadcast quite a while ago about college accommodations. And so I know we're, we didn't really address that here, but if your student's kind of making that transition, um, just know that if your student even puts those in place, they don't even have to divulge them to their professor right. unless it is needed in that specific class. So your child right. doesn't like when they register for class, the professor is like, oh, no, here here comes a student who needs all these things from me. Um, no, they it isn't divulged unless they say, oh, yeah, it, I'm I'm this is a real struggle. This is they can have those things already in place and then they can right. reveal that they need like extra notes or whatever, whatever is needed um, that they've been approved for for accommodations can be put in place immediately. So so um, you can go back and listen to, to that episode um, in full. So I'll make sure, sure I get the link in there too um, yeah. in the description. And Tasha has a lot of, you have a couple of YouTube videos that you're going to share yeah. with us. What, what are in those? I'll put the links in the description here on YouTube as well as the podcast. Okay. Yeah. Basically it's uh, answering all the questions of what the test involves and what kind okay. of testing I do. Um, it goes over the areas of what I test and the, um, the background of my testing and just let my parents know that I'm accessible to mm-hmm. um, psychological tests, um, academic tests, which is called psychoeducational. Okay. okay. So you have psychological and you have psychoeducational. Oh, okay. And those are two different uh, types of evaluation. Psychological includes behavior, cognitive, and achievement. And then psychoeducational is just the cognitive and achievement. Okay. So you have some without behavior and some with behavior. It just lets you know I do advocacy services. I'm an educational consultant. Uh, I do professional development presentations, things like that. So it gives mm-hmm. them an overview. Kind of a, they're like about 30. One of them is maybe a, a minute and a half, and one is about 30 seconds. So, okay. so mom so and dad won't take up too much time. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing those links with us. And, um, and also Tasha has a website, um, top assessment, um, TX that's for texas.com. And so you can visit her at that website too, and, and connect with her on there. Um, so Leslie, um, you had, put a question in that she said this this very topic of the show is my question (laughs) should I get a diagnosis so hopefully we have helped you figure out if that is a yes or no to your your answer and I I think it's just gonna it's gonna be different for everybody in every situation um and I always tell people if you have peace then that's where it's if you're feeling anxious continue to pray about it yeah, just pray that. about it. Um, because I think a lot of times we rush into things um, and we do it for the wrong reasons. And right. so, um, and I know Tasha's a fellow believer. And um, yeah. and so <laughs> we we both just want to encourage you, just pray yeah. into it. Um, you will... Yeah. You'll get the diagnoses for your child if necessary in the right time. Don't feel like it's you're too late either. I think I, I beat myself up a lot about um, not catching things with my kids, yeah. and God didn't beat me up about it. It was it was the right timing for each That's of them. Right. So. That's it. Yeah, That's absolutely. And um, we had one more comment while we were chatting. Um, yeah. It's only homeschooling said in-person assessment is so important. Yes. And so just reiterating that fact that we talked about earlier um in and, person mm-hmm. yes. and parents if you have any questions call me um any of additional questions i can consult with you and you know give you any additional information that you may think of later uh questions you may have so i am available 
Yes. And two, if you um, if you end up putting a question in the YouTube feed, which I know some people do because they'll like watch this, you know, years later, (laughs) Um, just know that we do respond to those and we send them to our interviewee so they can answer the question and then we'll put their response or we'll just tell them this is where the link is to the video. Could you respond? So um, so we want to make sure you get your questions answered because I know a lot of you just um, you don't have the ability to go out to homeschool conferences and you just there you just want to do the best for your for your student. And so that's why we do these um, these broadcasts and we really want to help in any way we can um, in this process. Well, thank you so much, Tasha. I appreciate you taking time out of your your busy schedule, and I'm glad that you you made it through the traffic and got here. Yes, we already knew it was traffic. (laughs) Oh, yes, I know. And where your office is, that's where I go and get my acupuncture, and I know how crazy that can be in that area of town. (laughs) Yes, we already knew. Yes, I'm Mm -hmm. glad I was able to be here. Yes. Yeah, I'm too. Um, I had an opening to for this and I was I said to Tasha, I said, I know exactly what we should talk about. <laughs> it, was perfect. it was perfect. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this is a great conversation. I know a lot of you um, were, were looking forward to this. So thank you for joining us, everybody. Um, we are going to dive into a new topic next month about um, just how to accommodate curriculum based on different teaching methodologies. And okay. so um, so next week, we're going to talk about assistive technology and how assistive technology can help you based on how you homeschool. Okay. And and so so that um, th- that's what we're going to be chatting about next week with our guests. So and then we're going to dive into some other um, homeschooling methodologies and different ways you can tweak and change that to make it more accessible for your students. So that's that's what we'll be covering in June. So I'm excited about awesome. that new topic that we're diving into. And we wrapped up nonverbal teaching. If you missed all of that, we had four episodes on that um, already this month. So so I know a lot of a lot of you had said, "Wow, um, I I've had this student I haven't really been able to connect with as much, and now I I feel equipped." And so I'm so glad that we were able to to find some guests that um, empowered you in in that area as well. So. Thanks so much, Tasha. Um, it was great having you back on the show. Um, and thank you. We'll definitely have to have you back again sometime soon. I'm looking forward <laughs> so, to it. I'm looking forward to call me anytime. I will. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward All right. To well, what I do. Oh, yes. Well, keep doing what you're doing because it's very important and you help a lot of families and um, they are just so blessed by what you do. So thank keep you up the so good much. work. Absolutely. Well, thank all of you for joining us and um, I'll see you next week right here on Empowering Homeschool Conversations. Until then, God bless everybody. Take care. Goodbye. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on this podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. This has been Empowering Homeschool Conversations with Peggy Ployer. What do you do when your world is falling apart? How do you march when it would be easier to stay where you are and die? Join me every week on the March or Die podcast, and we'll discuss that and so much more.